Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift for a shortened podcast like both stages that we saw today. Well, one of them didn't even exist. This is a Torino Adriatico <laughs> Stage 5 recap. We also had Parini supposedly on today, but it was shortened and cancelled eventually, Benji, because of strong winds, right? Yes, indeed. So first it was said to be shortened to the last two hills, which would have been a would have been a banger of a stage 79 kilometers with two hills one of which is super steep but then it was shortened with like local circuit in front of it was like a rumor and then warbaz and the hand said on twitter that they had no clue what was happening they had no information with the teams which is also great obviously um but in the end cancelled due to strong winds up to 90 to 100k an hour so good luck riding in that if it's crosswinds i don't know if this was the cpa or the police that because I was texting with Jack Haig. He was on the bus. He was also like, I have no idea. He's like, I reckon this is going to get cancelled as they were on the buses because yeah. they made them do like five minutes of riding around the start, the initial start town, maybe because <laughs> they still get the, do you reckon the they money. still invoice them? The they start have to, town. right? The start town? Like, well, the riders <laughs> rode around <laughs> in at 20Ks an hour. <laughs> Here's the invoice. Uh, maybe. And anyway, he's Ooh. like, I reckon it's going to get cancelled because the police, like, I'm not sure you're even allowed to have an event outside in 100 kilometer an hour winds in France, and there's been all these strikes and everything. So Paranese cancelled. Uh, I've had a lot of cancellations. Grand Communio stage, and now uh, Paranese. And anyway, we'll have a stage tomorrow, which is the mountaintop finish, I think. Yeah. Um, Torino Adriatico, though, that was also shortened the hilltop finish. Well, the mountaintop finish was supposed to be 13 kilometers at about 7%. And there's like a lot of these uh, mountaintop finishes, and you'll see this in the Vuelta Stage 4 up to Arcalis or Aronsal or wherever, where the ski resorts, there's a lower parking area where the buses, there's space for mm -hmm. buses, uh, for ski tourists and for cycling teams. And then there's probably another three, four, five kilometers above there where there is some road up to the top. That was where it was supposed to finish at the top. They shortened it to the car park. Is that why we, for example, see on like higher mountain finishes that the riders go to the finish and then yeah. they turn back and they go to the parking a bit lower? Yeah, like Kovadonga, for example. Yeah. Remember when Roglic rode past Coos uh, <laughs> in the Vuelta 21? That's what generally happens because there's no space. I mean, the Tour de France doesn't like to finish up there because it's they generally don't. Puy de Dome, they might. Um, but in the Vuelta, you'll see it a lot more because they're like, Where's, let's find the most ridiculous goat track possible and finish <laughs> finish a race up there. So they're going to finish at the car park, 10.8K, 7.3%. Not as difficult, not as long. Not good news for the pure climbers like Adam Yates, uh, Enrico Mas. Ricardo. Rick, yeah, sorry, Adam Ricardo Yates. Um, not good news for them. Good news for Roglic, who destroyed everyone in the sprint yesterday. It's a really hard stage beforehand. Hilly all day. The problem also was, well, I don't know if the CPA shortened it or not, um, this stage, because the delegate mm -hmm. was Salvato, and when Salvato is a CPA delegate, then stages get cancelled or shortened. <laughs> there could um, be an active volcano. <laughs> who? Salvato? No, so if Salvato's there, you mean that it is more shortened or less yeah more likely i oh, think okay. I, I think he might have been there when there was the 2021 oh, yeah. or 2020 rainy stage that makes um, sense anyway super windy i also think organizers are much keener to shorten a stage when there's the possibility of a 
hoarding at the finish, blowing over, because that doesn't look good. And that happened in the Jiro before when your man on YOLO got hit. Luca Vakerman um, got hit. Yeah, yeah. And it happened, sorry, he's on Vini Zabu. And it happened in Oman just recently. So they're wanting to avoid that. They finished at the lower car park. Weird stage, Benji. Just like watching a peloton ride at 35 kilometers an hour, watching Remy Rocha just getting blown to pieces. Yeah, like it was so obvious from just seeing that there was a lot of wind. We see the peloton going slow in areas where it's headwind, obviously. That's a great analysis here. There's headwind, riders go slower. Anyway, Arkea and Kofidis riders flying to the left and the side of the, uh, to the side of the road, left and right. The Arkea one was a bit more dangerous than, the, than Rocha, because if Rocha went off the road, it would have been in a ditch. But the uh, Arkea rider Guglielmi in the breakaway was straight up going to hit a wall if the wind was a bit higher. So that would have been very risky. Fortunately, he stayed up on the bike, but we were going towards a final climb with a, a peloton when the brake was being caught, to be fair. And I was curious, what are we going to see? Are we going to see Bora pace it, but fake pace it to make sure that Kemna can get a, a great result and hopefully stay as close as possible in the jersey? Will we see a team like Movistar take it up? Or will we see Jumbo Visma try and use their multiple riders? Or, well, to be honest, you could think about UAE and say, oh, they got 17 leaders in this race. They might attack left and right and so forth. But then again, I've got a feeling that they're not working well together. But Formula was working for one of them, eh? Formula seemed to be on the side of McNulty in this one. Formula, he always works. He, like, he got his chance in Saudi. Uh, it's generally, like, the younger guys, like Ayuso Almeida, um, won't work. And McNulty will generally get to go for his own race in non-pog races, too. That's generally how it works. Bennett, as well, seems to be on domestique mode, too, uh, for the others. Uh, particularly for Almeida and McNulty here. But you're right, Canada with only six seconds on Roglic. It's a tricky game for Bora Benji because you pace slow, you false pace, you don't use Hinley or Vlasov aggressively. Yeah. You get roglic in the finish. And Roglic, <laughs> unless Leonard comes second or third, and probably even if he comes third, Roglic goes into the jersey anyway. So you're kind of damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. I think they played it okay. Okay, yeah. maybe could have done a little bit, few things differently. But it's really tough. Rarely you'll see this. A headwind climb so strong that we have a group of like, well, Movistar pace into base with Oliveira. Didn't really, it, it really like, it's a prisoner's dilemma because he's doing full gas and everyone in the wheels is literally cruising and chatting. People at the back are literally chatting whilst he's full gas uphill. Yeah. Because the wind is so strong. We're talking like 60 kilometer an hour headwind and it does switch back a few times this climb. He pulls off and then there's no real follow-up from Verona that I yep. could see for Movistar um, with 10Ks, 9Ks to go on this climb. And it really was Nico Dens. It was what we suggested. Bora, we're like, yeah, we'll just control it with Nico Dens for a while and maybe play numbers at the end. And that stayed like that for a while because there were no like really early moves by a Wadambar Gil and so forth, who seemed to be, I don't know, a lot of riders were just waiting. And it's logically a climb where the headwind is happening. You know that if you go, you've got a limited chance of making it because you're going to be solo. Just because you said, if the, the rider is pacing at the front, full on in headwind. If a rider is pacing behind, also in headwind, but the rest of the peloton is behind riders and therefore is benefiting from that and can come later on and try and uh, sweep over you. That being said, eventually moves started happening in that group though. I think Formolo started moving up with roughly 6k to go with McNulty in the wheel, and that was the real 
first active moment in the in the in the climb here. And Formula paced for a bit. McNulty stayed in the wheel. Formula went off the front, and then it was the Bennett's turn. So UE had a plan to make the climb a bit harder than it was already. Those two riders did quite a bit of work between 6k to go and 4.5k to go. But at that moment, I noticed that Almeida and Roglic were kind of not in a good position. Would you say that's because it's usual for an Almeida to be near the back of the peloton, or do you think they were both hiding knowing that headwind is on this climb? I wasn't concerned about either of those two at that point. Roglic maybe, but after what I saw yesterday, no. Yesterday, he also was not in good position on the climb. I think he's doing a new thing. I think he's trying to stay in the sort of the Bennett, fat, but the fat of the peloton. Yeah, no, I think he is. I, I think he's trying to stay in like the best drafting position because if you are at the front in a line, you're not going to get as good a draft, particularly because they're not in direct straight headwind. They're moving around a little bit. It might be coming from the side. So I think he's just trying to bide his time there. Um, but we do see riders dropping. We see Benoit dropping. Alaphilippe does Alaphilippe things. He nearly crashes himself into Valter. It's very odd. Uh, Pidcock is at the back. Not He wasn't looking good. Vanderpool drops. He was there for a long time, though, just kind of cruising. Uh, Aronsman's also in, in half position. But if you want to jump in and jump onto Zwift, the easiest way to start Zwifting is here. The Zwift Hub unbox and unlock virtual worlds and crush your fitness goals. Benji's been crushing his. He's on, I think, four race days in a row, yes. smashing his records out of the park. And the Zwift Hub is a full immersion feel, no sweat setup, and will unlock your fitness for $4.99. The best value direct drive trainer or any trainer really on the market comes with your choice of cassette pre-installed to match your bike, whatever speed you have. It feels real. It's a powerful training tool. And yeah, encourage you to go and check it out through the link down below. Thanks to Zwift, as always, for supporting the podcast. But UAE, Benji, they kind of did, when it's, they went through a switchback, mm -hmm. they kind of put it in a line and they were trying to use it to their advantage a little bit there and when the wind changed direction. But I couldn't really, I don't know, I couldn't really tell whether they were going for Almeida or McNulty. Yeah. I don't think there was any the leader. The follow-up was inconclusive. Yeah. And I feel like there was no real response instantly either because an Adam Yates was not going instantly and Almeida was not oh, going yeah, instantly, here. and those riders were in that group. Now, we go further on to the climb. We're now with roughly, let's say we are with 4K to go. We see move on the right side of the road. When the tempo goes a bit down, UAE boys are, are like, meh, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, make a move here. Caruso attacks, 4.6K to go, and he goes out the front. And there's no imminent response to that, except for George Bennett, who is still there, who's still pacing, and he paces for a tiny bit, but he's just paced already for half a yeah. kilometer. So he's not going to be able to close that instantly. So he goes off the back and the tempo kind of dies out a tiny bit. It's Hindley. So Yeah. Well, it took a bit. No, I feel like it took a bit. And yeah, we saw yeah. some moves by UAE then. Like no one really responded. And this is the beauty of headwinds. It's like no one wants to attack because if someone's on your wheel, they will do so much less work than you eating the wind. But then... If you can get a gap, if you use a hairpin where there's a tailwind section, it changes direction, if you can get a gap and then suddenly people can't sprint across to your wheel, then you create the prisoner's dile prisoner dilemma back yep. in the group. 
and you just do your tempo full gas and then no one else wants to work back in the group and that's what started happening and that's we saw that actually on Port Valera up here it's super windy here today it's windy everywhere across France Italy Spain we saw that when Quintana attacked in a hairpin in the Tour de France stage that Coos won it was super strong headwind that day they were found out on highway and then no one else wanted to close him and he took to Henry de Grange of that Tour de France and that's what happened with Caruso and it means Lander and Santi get to sit in the wheels Exactly, and we do see moves from UAE after Caruso has the gap, where we see, first of all, I think Yates on the right side of the road in the background, not like full-on on of you, because the camera work in this terreno. I'm going to be honest, I can't be the only one that notices this, right? Yesterday on the climb, they were showing the back of the group all the time, and not really the front, and in today's version, they're like, the camera is like, not even showing everything. It's, I don't know what's going on, either it's in my oh, head. windy. Yeah, but is it because the camera's getting winded to the side or what? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I'm with you on the production cuts. Yeah. So the Tour de France is bad for this too. We'll remember, does anyone know what happened in the stage Magnus caught one in the GC group? Does anyone, or the, the stage Jungles one, does anyone know no. what happened with UAE? We don't because we didn't see the GC group for about 20 minutes because no one can just cut back. Like the same, and it's bad in the Giro too. You remember the stage that uh, Cohen Bowman won ahead of Walter and Schmidt when he chopped them. Like the, we don't care. It wasn't so bad today because it wasn't break, but I'm just going to say it now in case any producers are listening. No one cares except maybe their uncle or cousin or mother yeah. about who's coming fifth on the stage from the break. I'm sorry for their sponsors. I'm happy you got in the break. I don't give a fuck. Go back to the GC group. Show the guys that come first, the guy that wins. Okay, we've seen that. And we'll go back to the GC group and maybe we can show them rolling across Man. the line afterwards. Remember that Vuelta sprint where we were fighting him with Pacher and Soler and cared about who came first in the background of Uran winning? <laughs> well, at least they were kind of in the picture and then they can cut. I mean, when it's like <laughs> broken across. Uh, in that case, yeah, keep showing them. But Caruso's looking good. We can't see anyone really behind him through the, through the corners. So... Who is going to actually bridge across? Because it's, as Benji said, Yates goes and everyone's in his wheel. And he's like, ah, don't want to do this. Going to protect my own GC. Hindley's there. He's like, ah, everyone's in my wheel. He's gapping Kamner a little bit. O'Connor and Azure Desire are moving, but Kelderman's yeah. on his wheel. Almeida. And Jumbo Visma want to play for a sprint, obviously. Almeida did the same, eh? The same as Yates goes to the front. Yeah. The weirdest thing with, thing with Almeida is every time he attacks, he does that attack where he like faces at the front for X amount of time. But if you do that here, you're basically not helping yourself, eh? You're making an attack that will not help you because you don't have a gap. So everybody is in your wheel. You're just pacing the group. <laughs> and Enric did something a little bit different afterwards. But whilst this is happening, there are riders dropping. Peacock drops. We weren't surprised by that after yesterday. But Aronsman drops again. Caruso has about 20 seconds with 1.5Ks to go. And it's only like 7%. And it flattens out a little bit at the end, I think, as well until Enric Mars' big attack on the right-hand side. The problem is, he brought Ciccone... No, was he solo? Who did he bring with him? Butrago. And Butrago, later, yeah. Ciccone was also on, the, on his wheel. And you got to keep in mind, Landa's still up front. Butrago's in the wheel of your boy Enrique Mars that just attacked. So Butrago's not going to start pacing. Then again, he also didn't look that great two seconds later. But Mars kept pacing for a tiny bit. We also had other riders join to that. When Butrago dropped, Landa joined, and Carfi joined. So we're basically with a four-man group. Landa, Mastricone, and Carfi catching up to Caruso. 
groups behind, we've got like Wheel that group that was split behind. up in like three-ish groups roughly, but the gaps are so limited that if the tempo stops, they can come back later on. And the curious thing for me was, Landa catches up with Caruso, that group, Caruso Had doesn't start pacing. Had to counter. Caruso doesn't start pacing for that Landa group, and he does still finish in, this, in, the, in the same group at the end. Do you think Caruso should have paced for Landa? At, at a minimum, yes. At a minimum, he should have paced, especially when Enric probably wins the sprint against Huge and Landa, but at least Landa's gaining time on Roglic, he's gaining time on Ciccone, Kamna, uh, Bora not there, I don't think. He's gaining time on, yeah, Hindley and Vlasov. I think he has to pace at a minimum if he could, and I think he was thinking about it. Landa should have counted because Enric paced the whole way across to Caruso, but then I think it's impossible to really tell from front on, but I almost think as Mas was catching Caruso, yeah. I think he pushed really, really hard in the last 15, 20 seconds, almost sprinting across to Caruso to yeah. then, because you see Landa getting the drops and he's sprinting to stay in the draft. And I think that blunted the ability of Landa to counter. And then, but I feel bad for Mas because I think Mas wins this stage easily if it's the normal stage with no headwind. Like, I think he wins easily. I think so as well. The curious thing as well was that Landa was like literally going to his microphone and saying something in it. The second that they catch up, no clue what that was. Maybe they also just wanted to wait to have Botrago in the same group, but... No, no shot. Man, that makes no, no sense, eh? But by the way, I do have to say, Butrago's progression has been so good over the coming over the last year and i actually don't know where he will land he's not the kind of rider where i'm like oh that's gonna be a top gc rider but he's climbing really well so i kind of don't know where he's going he's just a solid consistent consistent rider he's got a little bit of a punch he'll win a stage here and there he can get in the breakaway he's just a really good climber all-rounder um he just lacks that really top end uh, climbing, which doesn't mean he's not a, a great rider. Ciccone is actually looking very, very good and strong this season. Valencia, he was good, and here he's good again. But Mask attacks again, but unfortunately for him, Wilco, and I was thinking, Yumbo, the two-leader thing is nice and all, but now you, can't let, you can't let Caruso win this stage and yeah. have Roglic win the sprint a second behind after what happened yesterday and, and Wilco's selfless teammate he does pull back the mask group he then also kind of paces a little bit on the front I think he thought about attacking but then he couldn't people are on his wheel Hinley and Vlasov are all there Gagan Hart's in good position Hugh Carthy's sort of waving around he's he's in good shape but again headwind climb not suiting anybody like him or Enrique Enrique's brought back he's not going to win the sprint and we see Roglic moving up to fifth wheel we know what's going to happen Wilco can't really lead it out. And it's actually Hindley goes on the inside. Then Gagenhart snaps. Gagenhart gets good separation around the right-hand bend. Then Chaconi comes around his wheel. Then Roglic around the further side. It looks like it's going to be close. And also because the I hate it when the, um, the camera, it's right on the riders and then it keeps yeah. shortening back. And I'm like, you have no idea where the finish line is. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, Roglic is going to lose. And then the camera kept going, kept going, kept going. And then like, oh, he's a bike length ahead now. <laughs> and Roglic just destroys everybody in the sprint. So. Yeah. Gegenhart, once again, he is in good shape. His sprint is very good. He's just unlucky to run into Roglic and also not get a lead out because he had no teammates in the group, just like yesterday. Ciccone is in good shape, but Roglic is just too good. This is perfect for him. And 
10k, 7% climb, 60 kilometer hour headwind, like everything fell into Robich cars today, plus Wilco yep. was strong. Definitely. Very strong ride and very tactical ride. Hiding when necessary to make sure that you're not in the wind. And also as a consequence, not necessarily overly responding to every move that happens to not explode yourself. He made a risk. They, they both played a risk, Kelderman and Roglic, by staying in that group and betting on that group coming back to the front while the others that attacked kind of burned their match trying to follow that initial move by Moss. So there's a bit of a, a thing there going on. That being said, it's kind of ended in a group sprint, eh? <laughs> As a consequence of the headwind. Yeah. And there's like an actually large group finishing. How many were there in there? Like 16-ish is my pure so guess. Many. So it's, many. Uh, it's not what you'd expect going into the stage, but then again with a headwind, it's very explanatory that this happens. And obviously when it comes to Roglic, he takes a stage, so 10 bonus seconds. So uh, I'm afraid that Lenny is not blue anymore. It's very sad for Kemner. Although I'll run through the top 10. Roglic wins ahead of Chikone and Gegenhardt. And then we have... Four, five, six are all Bora Hansgrohe. Hindley, Kamnev, Lasov. Um, just somewhat curious. Lander, seventh, ahead of Almeida. And as you said, Benji, Caruso finishes in the top 10, ninth, then McNulty, tenth. So we have a lot of teams. One, two, three, four teams double stacking, some triple stacking the top 10 of this stage. Very, very unusual stage. Roglic goes into the GC lead by four seconds ahead of Kemner. Almeida's actually in third on 12 seconds. McNulty's in fourth on 17 seconds. Keldman on 19. Gagan Hart on 19. Vlasov is on 21 seconds. Hindley 22. Ciccone 24. Must 31. Lots of teams with multiple riders in the top 10. It's very, very small gaps. Tomorrow we have arguably a harder stage if the wind... Well, they're going to turn around, so... We, if the wind is not a headwind, tomorrow we could see, and I think we will see, bigger gaps, 196 kilometers. Yeah. It is a classic stage. We have It's the last time to do anything on GC because stage seven is the San Benedetto del Tronto, which used to be the TT and is now a sprint stage. The Bauhaus will probably win. The tomorrow is, I can't even count them, like 20 climbs between two and four minutes, some six minutes, and... Let me have a look at this. One of them's got cobbles and it has it has Muro in it. So if yeah. it has cobbles in it, if it's shaded a little bit, it has Muro in it, it's going to be steep. It's going to be, could be selective. I think we're going to see a classics battle tomorrow, Benji. I think so as well. And there's so much opportunity on this parkour because if you look closely to this parkour, then you would say that the last three, well, the last half of the race, is like three circuits, two and a half circuits of a certain yeah. loop that they do. That seems to be where the ramp is where GC riders can make a move from the peloton. But there's plenty of climbs that happened before then, which means that there can be satellite riders send up the road in the Reconati climb, which is like the first climb in the range. Like initially, yeah. it's like a small descent of like 20 meters, probably a kilometer. And then we go straight on to the first climb of the day. So there's so much opportunity to send domestiques in the breakaway. And I think we will see that tomorrow. I think Bora will definitely try that. And they have so many leaders that they can put pressure on the likes of a Jumbo Visma in this race. If I see that team, I'm expecting a Nico Dens in the breakaway or something. And maybe another domestique in the breakaway. And we might see a, a stage 14 Giro Torino event happening where they try and set up 
I don't know who's the... Well, obviously, Kemna's up there in GC, but when it comes to the rest of GC, I'll have to take a look where the, the Bora boys are following. They're because on 21 and 22. 21 and 22 seconds. I'll be honest. I think this parkour fits Vlasov the most of the three. Jared Elamilia winner. Hinley was good on that Torino stage, though. I think yeah. they just play all of them aggressively and hope it turns out well. And as you said, Denz is someone you'd expect to see in the break he was pacing on the climb today. I'll throw in Formolo. If I'm UAE, I'd be wanting to get Formolino in the breakaway. Yeah. Um, Mignolti is... Is Covey here? Is he I think he's here. Mignolti is unbelievable on his day on these sorts of stages, all-day engine. So he's very, very dangerous. You don't want to give him a gap. And he's also only on 17 seconds on GC. And it's up to, I mean, Jumbo Visma, if it was just Roglic, mm -hmm. then it's a tougher ask. But yeah. they've got the second threat of Wilco in top shape. Hinley goes on a move. Roglic shits in the bunch. Wilco, if he can, goes with Hinley. Doesn't work. And I think that's the beauty of having Keldman close on GC. But no, GC died today. So they lost that third option. Do you believe, well, not a real surprise, to be honest. I never saw it happening past this stage. That being said, for tomorrow's stage, do you see the possibility of what they did at the UAE, at the Tour de France against UAE Team Emirates, where they sent riders as a satellite rider in the breakaway to make that happen? Or do you think that might be dangerous, knowing that they're not fighting against a, a five-man team this time around? They're fighting against multiple teams that will try and do this tactic for example von Aard, what are you going to do with von Aard on this stage he has to be chained up right i think roglic will want van Aard literally next to him the entire day yeah if i had to guess um i don't think i don't think they're going to go for as aggressive a strategy as we saw on uh the mall stage or something okay. like that um i think roglic is going to want them if we replay this is like paranese stage eight last year um, I wouldn't expect them to pace as hard as they did in Paranese Stage 8 last year. It's really for mm -hmm. the other teams to make the race. And it's going to be a big fight. It's the last chance, and there's so many... You make one mistake, you get dropped on these climbs, they have a satellite rider up the road, you can lose 15 seconds plus bonies, and your GC's gone. People moving from 7th to 1st. We saw Rui Costa won Valenciana on the last day in, one of the, you know, in a weird move. You just got to be up there, you got to be in it to win it. And Anyone in the top 10, and Rick Mars included, can win this GC. They're so close it. with the bonies. The reason that I don't believe in Mars taking GC is because he's the kind of guy that needs to respond to everything. And he might actually get in trouble because of that. Because he he's a lone leader at his team, while a Wilco following attacks, a Roglic following yeah. attacks, a UAE going with three guys, uh, a Bora going with three guys, and he's also like at the back end of the top 10 on 31 seconds. So it's a big gap. I think it's going to be really difficult for Moss to win this race. I kind of don't see it, but I kind of hope he does because I like Moss. I won't lie. <laughs> Enrique. <laughs> um, I don't know. It'll be a good one, though. I'm looking forward to watching it on the Saturday. Um, it should finish before the Pyrenees stage if that proceeds. The mountaintop finish tomorrow. Who have you got, Benji? Winning tomorrow? Mm. Can the break win? Vanderpool's here in decent shape. Fuck I think it. Vanderpool Alexander wins. Alexander Vlasov wins. Really? Yeah. I think Vanderpool wins Castel Fidardo style, where no one really 
the GC guys are all focusing on GC guys, and he gets a little bit of a free leash. Uh, okay. And I don't think he'll attack that early as Gastel Fidardo. Other Philippe, Quickstep have got him to ride for. They've got Bagioli. I presume they want him to win the stage as well, so maybe they'll help control for the GC team. So I do really think the non-GC guys have an advantage here, like Alaphilippe or, or Vanderpool. I'm going to go for Vanderpool because Van Aert, I think, will be on Roglic duties. I trust the parkour so much that I believe it's going to be a stage 14 Torino, Giro d'Italia thing where there's so much opportunity. If no one uses it, I'm going to cry myself to sleep tomorrow night. So someone for GC needs to use it, and that's how the break dies in my head. Because if, okay. if Bora wants to do that, they need to make sure that the gap to the breakaway is not gigantic, eh? They oh, gotta I think start facing the peloton at some group. point. What's all right? I think Van der Poel anticipates from the GC group. Oh, like that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like Castelfidardo. No, not impossible, but yeah. I might not rate him good enough yet. It's, it's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's impossible. <laughs> sure, I'm just going on his class uh, before San Remo next week. Anyway, that was the Toronto Adriatico recap. Big stage tomorrow. Big day of racing tomorrow. Make sure you tune into the podcast then. Thanks to Zwift, as always. And we'll see you with the uh, pods tomorrow. Ciao.